When it comes to Europe's representatives at the World Cup in Qatar, there's only one place left and it will go to either Wales or Ukraine. The hosts in Cardiff will bear the weight of expectation as the country implores them to deliver a first appearance at the finals since 1958. But Ukraine are proudly representing a nation brought low by a sickening war and they prove that they can deal with the pressure by beating Scotland at Hampden Park. This is a true test of mental strength. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. After picking out a fine odds against winner, last time out from Poland against Wales, top tipster Mark O'Hare is back with us once again. Mark, this is a fascinating game, this Wales clash with Ukraine, because I thought Ukraine were outstanding against Scotland on Wednesday night. Fully deserved that 3-1 win. But Wales, even with the scratch side, did pretty well against Poland, were able to rest their star players, and they'll have the backing of that Cardiff crowd. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating game. Uh, we said on Monday's show that it was going to be very difficult for Scotland because of the the sheer expectation on them as the home team uh, against the team that most neutrals will be supporting, and plus the fact I think most average Joes in in the football kind of world um, just expected Ukraine to be a, a walkover really due to the issues back home. And you know we said in actual fact these situations can often inspire some of the kind of greatest performances from. From individual players or teams, clearly it can work the other way as well. But uh, you know, you looked at the way that Ukraine went about their business, showed a huge amount of character and, and courage, spirit, endeavour, all, all those kind of um, uh, characteristics you look for from a team. But uh, they exposed Scotland's weaknesses as well, particularly without Kieran Tierney in defence, and uh, the high line was to be blamed for for other issues. And Craig Gordon was by far the busier of the two keepers. You know, Scotland only had forty two percent of the ball and conceded eight shots on target. So. The system seemed to sort of fall apart and Scotland's key players probably didn't turn up, you could say. Um, maybe they felt the, the expectation. Who knows, really? But um, yeah, Ukraine are excellent. And what I do think, though, is, is you know, if they're going to qualify now, they've got to go to Cardiff and, and do something similar. Um, now they've been given a lot more respect by the market um, following that result. I think Scotland were around 225 when we spoke. Um, Wales are as big as almost 2.8, actually, on the exchange. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount of difference between the two home nations. Um, I suggest even Wales probably have a slight edge on, on Scotland in terms of consistency and, and continuity, uh, and even in sort of uh, individual personnel, players capable of, of winning a match on their own, if you like. So it's always impossible, I think, to quantify this into a price. But I always kind of question whether, I'm not sure if it's psychology or mentality or, or what the right word or description is here, but for a team to basically raise themselves, produce a heroic and historic performance and inspired performance and then repeat the feat just a couple of days later, I always wonder whether there might be a bit of a lag in that. And you know, I'm not saying Scotland beating them in, in Hamden is historic at all. Obviously, the, it's more about the situation surrounding Ukraine. It's impossible to gauge, really. And you know, we talked about that being a, a potential catalyst for players. Uh, can they reach their, their ceiling? Can they push beyond that? Can they do it successfully twice in a week with a quick turnaround? You know, it's it's possible. They've got players of, of sheer class. You know, Yeremchuk and Yarmolenko showcased what they're about against Scotland. Played. You know, brilliant going forward as well as defensively too. They've got a, a great centre-half partnership emerging and improving. Zinchenko, you can tell, absolutely thrives off the occasion and, and the responsibility. So they do have players capable and a system that can hurt Wales. 
But there are concerns there over the goalkeeping situation. Whoever has picked is, is probably going to be tested. You know, Gareth Bale, <laughs> Ramsey, all these players, you know, they're capable of shooting from distance, from set pieces as well. So, yeah, that, that's my big question mark about Ukraine. Can they go again? Can they produce the sort of uh, standards we saw against Scotland again? Um, that, that's my worry, really. And um, I did think just because of disparity in prices between what Scotland were and now where Wales are, um, you mentioned the Wales game against Poland. They played really well considering the scratch side they put out. They've almost the, the sort of um, the shock factor's gone now. They know what the Ukraine are all about. They you, they know the standard that they can set. So I actually thought Wales plus zero on the Asian handicap, basically the same as draw no bet, which was around one point nine one, was reasonable enough actually. Um, uh, unfortunately, we haven't got a referee for this game, but uh, judging by how the Scotland Ukraine game went off, particularly in the first twenty minutes, um, I would be really interested in sort of something cards based here, but. Yeah, you can't really sort of make a move until you know who the referee is for that match. Yeah, so. just to be clear, we will have a referee. They're not just going <laughs> to get, you know, a friend of somebody to kind of jog on to the pitch and, and give it a go. They, they will have a referee eventually. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to be looking towards overs, I think, in, in a one-off tie with a World Cup at stake. Um, yeah, things could kick off, particularly in the second half. So that's something to sort of bear in mind and look into probably closer to the time. But yeah, maybe Wales are slightly underrated. I'd be interested here in Emmett's view. I think he might be sort of coming from a different angle. Yeah, trader and tipster extraordinaire. Emmett O'Keefe is part of our team once again. Emmett, it's really interesting what Mark says there because I think what really impressed me about Ukraine was in those first 10 minutes, you wondered, Uremchuk absolutely nailed somebody a few minutes in and got yellow carded and you thought, oh, they're a bit pumped up here. This is going to be too much. The way they reined that in was hugely impressive. And I guess the other thing as well, you've got this kind of physical and mental toll on these players. But they brought on Mikhailo Mudrik, who played ever so well. I mean, there was an outside of the boot pass at one stage that should be hung in the Louvre. It was outrageously good. And you could bring on Shaparenko. And they've they've got a few... Dovbit came on and scored. They've got a few options, haven't they? Definitely. I think the... Just the only, yeah, like I said, I was after watching the game last night, I was kind of checking, checking the betting prices and hoping to get maybe kind of over two to one on Ukraine, like we had in the Scotland game. Because I, I could see this game, I, I, like Mark said, I think Wales are a better team than Scotland, but I could still see this game being quite similar in that it was just so noticeable last night the gulf in quality in midfield, like Malinovsky and Zinchenko were just levels above anything Scotland had, guys like. Callum McGregor, these guys, these are, these are like championship level players where Malinovsky and Sinchenko are kind of high-end European level midfield yeah. players. Sinchenko, and it was with and without the ball, wasn't it? Because absolutely. with the ball passing around them, without the ball, the press was it's, yeah, fantastic. It's dynamism, technical play, different level. I think the like people, people, listeners might not know this, but Sinchenko before he came to Man City was regarded as like a massive prospect as kind of an attacking midfielder, and he just he just under Pep's system he doesn't get, and because of City's glut of attacking midfielders. We don't get a chance to see him play there often. But when he does their play for Ukraine, he is a very, very good player. And I, so like, well, I, I can see Ukraine. Yeah, I, I can see Ukraine dominating this game for long stretches. Just there, yeah. Just I, I think the price is kind of coming coming close to fair. So kind of at the match price, I might lean Ukraine's way, but I, I, I would I would kind of hesitate to back because I think the market has kind of found Ukraine's level after probably kind of underrating underrating them against Scotland. Yeah, it's a difficult one with all the intangibles around uh, Ukraine's campaign. Mark, just one more on this. I thought 
Gareth Bale as an anytime goal scorer is interesting at 11 to 4. 10 to 3 in our new to score or assist market. So if he's involved in a goal uh, officially, either scoring it or assisting it, you get odds of 10 to 3 there. Any Anything in that? Any other markets that have kind of caught your eye there? No, that was that was the one actually. Um, funnily enough, um, it, it's funny. I expected him to be top of the top of the tree, really, in terms of the the anytime goal scorer market, and uh, I don't think he is, which was uh, which did surprise me. Um, you know, I sort of trot out the old cliches really with Bale, but you know, he comes in pretty fresh, doesn't he? After uh, not doing a huge amount for Real Madrid this season, injury free, and he does tend to raise himself in terms of playing in the the national team jersey. Huge occasion. Um, yeah, we don't need to sort of go over. What he's uh, what he's able to do. He's uh, he's an absolutely wonderful player on his best uh, on his best days. And um, yeah, as I mentioned, that the Ukraine goalkeeping situation is has been uh, an issue for not just this year but over the last decade or so. And I'm not sure they've sold it just yet, even if uh, Piotrov's not playing. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that, was, was terrible at Hampton Park. <laughs> Bushchan was awful. Piatov, as you say, is about 900 years old, and he makes mistakes as well. I mean, they're. That is the big weak link in the team, isn't it? I mean, all the other departments, you'd say, yep, they've got those covered. They're, you know, your Remchuk up front, all of the midfield quality we've mentioned. Zabani's playing ever so well, but the goalkeepers are massive worries. Yeah, it's a, really. it's a complete mess. And Wales are not going to be idiots. They know exactly the, where the weak points are. And Gareth Bale likes to dig from distance anyhow. So, um, yeah, if, there's, if the shot market's coming up, I would absolutely kind of be hammering the overs if it's a three and a half line, for example. Um, set pieces, he'll be on them. You know, dead ball situations, he he'll be trying his luck from distance and even in open play. Uh, expect Bale to be sort of firing him in from all angles, and he's capable. We, we know we've seen it all through the years. He's, he's more than good enough to score from thirty yards, and with a goalkeeper like that between the sticks, it's always possible. So yeah, I did agree. I thought they either the any time or the any time goal scorer, as well as the assist market, both were, were biggish prices for a game which I actually think uh, probably will have goals. I like probably. Um, Came at things from a wrong angle with with the Scotland game. I probably sort of misjudged things there, and, and Ukraine really kind of surprised me in their in their approach. Really, so um, this may well be an early goal, sort of blows things wide open, and we could have a bit of a, a basketball style game in the second half with teams just absolutely hell bent on trying to either secure their place or, or survive. So yeah, it should be a really the second half is what I'm really looking forward to here because it's all to play for, and these are these are games you just got to savor to be honest as a neutral. It's going to be a fascinating game. It's, by the way, worth checking out the Betfair Boost. Betfair's already enhanced prices on Ackers, where you can increase the price even further with the token in your bet slip. T's and C's are in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.com. Well, apart from the World Cup playoffs, we also have some cracking games in the Nations League to look forward to. England start their bid to win the tournament in Budapest against Hungary. And Emmett, England were comfortable winners the last time this fixture was played. Can you see something similar here? Yeah, I think uh, definitely kind of comfortable wins, most likely. I think we've kind of, we saw... We saw in the Euros how kind of the kind of home crowd can really can, can really drive Hungary on and keep them competitive against kind of the better sides. But I think we're as as we've heard, they're, they're likely going to be behind playing behind closed doors here with kind of apparently thirty thousand thirty thousand kids in attendance. That definitely is kind of a negative for Hungary. Just the, the angle I liked, expecting relatively comfortable England win as the kind of price would suggest. 
what the kind of the kind of betting angle I liked was in Hungary's last two match recent matches against England, we saw Harry Maguire and John Stones both find the net, and Stones could easily have sco- scored a brace in, in in England's home match against Hungary recently. Stones is as big as nine to one to score any time on the sports book. You can probably find be- bigger on the exchange if you shop around. We, we've kind of we, we've seen throughout Garth Southgate's tenure how strong England are from set pieces. So I think that's the that, that, that's the angle I like here. Mark, this is what England do, isn't it? In qualifiers and Nations League games, they get the job done. They've been incredibly consistent under Gareth Southgate. I know he gets a lot of stick for being defensive and maybe not unleashing all of these attacking weapons that he's got at once, but it's a hell of a record he's built up. Yeah, it is. It's it's very much uh, arguably one of the best records in world football at the minute. I know Argentina are on a wonderful unbeaten streak, but in terms of consistency and and, and what they're achieving, England just tend to be sort of routine in terms of what they achieve on the world stage. And, you know, we talk about Southgate being a defensive or, a, you know, one of those kind of coaches. Well, actually, in the, in the return game at Wembley, um, Hungary earned a 1-1 draw and he, he actually picked a, a reasonably attacking lineup, and things were really disjointed. Um, England only managed 11 shots in that game. Um, and, you know, there's a criticism of them, so he can't really win in terms of what he does. And I think as an English Well, now he can you... say, see, see what happened. I played all the attacking players like you wanted and you got that. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, I'd expect England to go back to, to what we know, really, and, and just churn out a, uh, a relatively sort of straightforward victory here. The, the lack of crowd or the lack of kind of adults in the crowd will probably make a difference in terms of creating a, a weird sort of atmosphere. So, um, I don't know, if you look at prices, England are very similar to what they were in the World Cup qualifier here last September when they romped to a 4-0 win. Uh, if you look at the, the Euros, France are 1.32 against Hungary. Portugal or 1.5, so England were kind of slap bang in the middle of that, which I think is probably a fair assessment, really. And they just tend to do things um, relatively unfussily too. So you know, if you look at England's record, they kept clean sheets in 16 of the last 22 games. They haven't conceded more than a single goal in any of those 22. And if you go back to October 2019, they've kept clean sheets in all bar three of their 23 wins in 90 minutes too. So. England win to nil is trading around evens 2.05. Uh, I think that's fair enough considering those long-term stats. However, you know, you've always got to be a little bit concerned if you're back in that kind of bet when someone like Shopify is having efforts from distance. So, yeah, just, just one to bear in mind, but I think England will, will get the job done relatively comfortably. Um, I just think they're you know, obviously a, a level or two above Hungary's level. So, yeah, I expect it to be fairly routine. Looking at Friday, the world champions France are in action against Denmark. Emmett, what's the angle here? Because it could be a cracking game, this, couldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I kind of um, so the, the match prices for them. France are short as eight to thirteen. But I could see this game being kind of far more competitive than that's that than those odds suggest. For those who might not know, like Denmark manager Kasper Hulman has actually probably shown himself to one of the best managers in international football. And unlike a lot of a lot of teams you see out there, Denmark really have the cohesion of a club side. And as we kind of saw that with this style of play when they made their run to the Euro twenty twenty semifinals. And now, like they have Christian Eriksen back to give that midfield that really badly needed technical quality. We saw players like they players like Thomas Delaney and and, and a Hoyerberg in midfield, but Eriksen just that different, the different level of quality which they badly need. Obviously, his and his kind of um, his ability at set piece is also a huge plus for Denmark. And, and just and like I, I just I find it hard to see France keeping them scoreless. Like they've kind of outside of that they we were held scoreless by Scotland at the end of the. World Cup qualifying campaign, but that was a meaningless game for Denmark. G- generally, this this Denmark team under Hillman are a very high scoring team, 
And I expect this game to be very, very competitive. I just if, if I was going to back Denmark instead of backing them double chance, I'd prefer to back both teams to score odds against because I could easily see this being a game where Denmark press Scott, press France very effectively, have more shots, better XG, etc. But the finishing and moments for the likes of Mbappe and Benzema is just enough to see France win. So both teams to score at, at odds against seem, seem to be big to me. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout, Emma. And the interesting thing about France, I think, is that I know they've played it for a while, but they are still getting used to a new defensive system, aren't they, under Didier Deschamps? And you still feel there's a few rough edges to smooth off, really. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's kind of interesting. They're kind of um, yeah. The last yeah, the last uh, <laughs> the last Euros, it looked like kind of Deschamps kind of didn't know what he was doing, kind of shuffling the players around. But I think the kind of the real player to watch for them will be Theo Hernandez of AC Milan. So if they are going to play, like for those, if you're going to play three at the back by that wing-back system, like he played Pavard there recently and Pavard is not, has, has no pun, <laughs> has no has no attacking punch at all. But Theo Hernandez does have that attacking ability. He's a kind of the, he has kind of the, he could play to kind of a, like what we've seen with Reese James or Chelsea, like the, the, or even possibly even better. And can re, and really, really give that system that kind of some attacking punch for the wing-back positions. Yeah, Pavel's a good player, but I do feel he's dined out on that incredible goal against Argentina uh, for quite some time. Uh, there's a Benelux derby on Friday as Belgium face the Netherlands. Mark, we could have another cracker here. Yeah, definitely. But I guess if you if you judge this match on, on Kevin De Bruyne's comments and, and his attitude towards the Nations League, um, yeah, possibly not. But uh, I've kind of... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone's seen that, but he's basically called uh, the Nations League just a waste of time and glorified friendlies. But Do uh, we think, actually, just digging into that a little bit, I wonder if that's just because this is such an unusual situation in the sense that we've got a World Cup at the end of the year. That has squeezed everything, hasn't it? And it's basically messed up all the international breaks that we would normally have. And so you've suddenly got two weeks of international football at the end of a long domestic season. So I wonder if really De Bruyne is kicking off about that. Rather than the actual Nations League as a tournament, I wonder if actually it's just like, could we just go on holiday, please? Yeah, yeah, I thought I thought that as well. But um, even if you, if you do get that argument and it's nothing to do with needing a break and holiday... Uh, you do play for the leading nations. I can I can understand that argument, um, but you know you're getting more top quality matches. That's what we were told that the top teams wanted. They didn't want to be playing friendlies against uh, mid ranking teams. Uh, they wanted top quality games against top quality opposition. So that's what we were told uh, five years ago or so before the nations league came into play. And but you know it's all still kind of disparaging really for mid ranking bottom tier teams who you know it's an incredible lifeline for them. It's an opportunity for them to to really grow themselves. So. Yeah, a bit disappointing. I'm not sure if his comments are kind of felt across the board in the, in the Belgium squad, but if they are, I think even better for, for my particular angle here because I think teams and players, when they are sort of feeling quite cushy and relaxed, and um, I think you can often see some better games because you see more open and attacking football than potentially a sort of high-stakes World Cup qualifier. Um, saying that, even if these two teams did play in a high-stakes World, World Cup qualifier, I'd still probably fancy backing goals uh, between these two. So I think over two and a half goals, at 185, was quite appealing. Uh, we know all about Belgium's um, array of attacking players. We know about Martinez's front foot kind of style. Um, but we also know that their defence is, is creaking and the personnel have aged considerably in the last few years as well. So, you know, by default, Belgium tend to score freely in Brussels, but they have conceded in four of the last six competitive games. All of those six matches went over two and a half. Um, they've got a pretty strong record against Holland uh, and that rivalry obviously adds a bit more spice to the occasion too. 
Uh, and Holland, you know, Netherlands, they're improving. Um, yeah, they were rudderless, directionless under De Boer. Louis van Gaal's gone in there, added leadership, added a bit more order. Um, they're unbeaten in nine. They've beaten Denmark, held Germany in, in recent friendlies. They've scored in all nine under van Gaal. They've scored twice and more in six of those. Uh, and Overs has cashed in four of their six games against com- in, in competitive action too. So, you know, I appreciate they're still probably lacking a, a real world-class striker at number nine there. Um, not necessarily sure they need a number nine, but, you know, the Dutch don't ever sort of lack confidence, do they? So I think they'll fancy their chances of going to Belgium and putting on a, a decent shift. And I think just Belgium style will give them those opportunities to, to make their mark too. So, yeah, it should be a decent game. I think Overs at 185 would be where I was looking there. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet, so Betfair is now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds over, under, and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Mark Ralph Rangnick is the new coach of Austria. He's replaced the widely loathed Franco Foda, who must have been one of the most unpopular coaches in European football, and they've got an interesting game away to Croatia. Yeah, I think it's a tough game. I think it's tougher than the, than the odds suggest here. Um, Croatia look overpriced to me. Um, I, I often think I think Croatia as a football nation are vastly underrated. Um, I'm not just saying that in terms of the price here, but just as as what they can achieve. Uh, they've got a population of it smaller than Scotland. It's a fraction of of London's population, yet they've run us up in the World Cup and just continue to churn out top players and players of promise. Really, and be very competitive in, in major tournaments and qualifying. Obviously, and he lost out in the Euros on penalties to Spain. But since topped their World Cup qualifying section, which uh, on the surface doesn't look too tricky, but there was a few teams, um, you know, not too many minnows in there compared to other groups as well. The squad has changed, um, but Luka Modric is still there. There's no Rebic, there's no Perisic. Perisic injured, Rebic has, has fallen out with the coach. But I still think they're reasonably strong across the park and they've got an emerging group which are, are starting to be bedded in too. And I looked at the Austria squad. Um, I know it's Ralph Rangnick's first game. Which I think is always a, a tricky assignment, anyhow. But yeah, without Hinterreger, without Dragovic, the so two centre halves, which have got 167 caps between them, no Baumgartlinger, uh, no Ilsanker either. So those four make up over 300 caps. Um, and I just think Austria flattered to see for quite some time now. I know individually that there is talent there, but I think it's asking a lot for them to just suddenly click into gear in, in Rangnick's first game. So you know, beaten by Wales in the World Cup qualifier playoff um, over the last six away days. They've lost three times. Their only wins came at the Faroes in Moldova. Lost to Wales, Israel, Denmark. And, uh, you know, those relations are probably on the same, if not below Croatia's level. So I think the Croats at home lost once competitively in 13. Defensively, they've been really strong too. Uh, and at home, they tend to turn on turn on and pick up some decent results. So I thought odds against was, was a decent, uh, decent value play there. Um, I think they're much better than the market suggests. The Republic of Ireland begin their campaign in Armenia. Emmett, the FAI have shown faith in Stephen Kenny as a coach. It's a really tricky one, this. Does there come a point where he has to start delivering or is it just a really difficult job because the quality of player he has available to him is not as high as maybe in years gone by? Absolutely. I think the kind of... Yeah, so it's it's interesting. I think probably for the listeners who... Like most sisters are, are watching Ireland matches regularly, but for throughout my lifetime, we've been playing kind of a 1980s Wimbledon. Long, a ter- it's hard to put into words how unattractive Ireland style of play has been, <laughs> especially like you can understand in the 90s, uh, 2000s, but especially the kind of late 2000s and the kind of tr- and throughout the 2010s and the kind of O'Neill, uh, O'Neill kind of Trapatoni eras. 
like and, and, and laterally McCarthy, we've been playing as if the kind of advancements in modern football haven't happened. And like there's there was no hint of pressing and just kind of like when you're going away from home, sit just sit back deep, hope to nick hope to nick on the from the break for a set piece. And it led to these kind of narratives in the media. People were like, oh yeah, you can't expect the Ireland team to be playing like Barcelona. But I think that's that's not what any Ireland fan wants. What you want is to try and get, have your team maximizing its resources and at least pick in certain games, pick your moments to press and try to and try to play a kind of more progressive style of play, which at least be enjoyable to watch, even if we aren't getting results. And that's actually started to happen. So Kenny was actually winless through his first 11 matches, including kind of a disastrous 1-0 uh, lost Luxembourg. But things actually really picked up towards the end of the qualifying campaign, which saw Kenny get a, Stephen Kenny getting kind of a contract extension. We beat Azerbaijan and Luxembourg 3-0 three, three away in both matches and drew, and drew at home to both Portugal and Serbia. And then even in the kind of recent friendlies, I went to, I, I we played against Bel- the Belgium second team. And obviously, like nothing, nothing, nothing special, but it was kind of a two-all draw. But actually, I can count the number of exciting friendlies I've watched Ireland friendlies in the last 20 years on one hand. <laughs> uh, but that was a really exciting game in Ireland. Again, you just get the sense that where Ireland were kind of maximizing our limited, maximizing our limited resources and playing kind of quite a good progressive football. Uh, Kenny, as you said, has a limited talent at his disposal, but there are kind of potential shoots for uh, kind of green shoots of, of recovery with kind of some of our young players. So Gavin Bazunu, who's on loan at Portsmouth this season, but is on Man City's books and is regarded as a kind of a big goalkeeper prospect who'll be playing in either the Championship or the Premier League next season. Nathan Collins, who's I think probably Burnley's best player towards the end of the season this year, I think is a very, very, very good centre-half prospect. Jason Knight, who's at Derby again, probably get relegated but he would be regarded as kind of maybe a potential Premier League Premier League level midfielder and then hopefully Troy's part at Spurs has been long long regarded as kind of a massive striker prospect but career his career kind of did stall in the last couple of years but kind of picked it up at MK Dons this season so I feel like things are pointing pointing in the right direction for Ireland and whereas I think they're they're lucky enough to be playing against what on, on the face which seems like one of the worst opposition in international football in Armenia Armenia didn't win it. I think they didn't win any of their eight um, uh, World Cup qualifying campaigns, which included a 5-0 loss, home loss, North Macedonia. They drew it home to Liechtenstein. In their last friendly, they were beaten 9-0 by Norway. They did get a red card after 20 minutes, but even still, that kind of would ring of a would kind of give the air of a side that was kind of happy enough to kind of happy enough to chuck it uh, and kind of not really play for the manager. And all in all, all told, I thought Ireland to be shorter than around that just under even money to win the match. I expect Ireland to win and possibly even comfortably. And if he starts, Nathan Collins is worth looking at goal score markets. He's around 14 to 1 in the sports book. He was a huge threat for Burnley from um, from set pieces towards the end of the season. And, our, and, our, and our Ireland generally have a kind of a good set piece record under Kenny. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully a comfortable Ireland win. There's a blue chip clash on Saturday as Italy faced Germany in England's group. Italy were pretty much humbled by Argentina in midweek in the finalissima or finalissima or however we pronounce it. Uh, It's being treated as a major tournament apparently, even though it hasn't been played uh, since the 1990s. But there we go. Uh, Italy are the slight outsiders here at 2.82. Mark, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because psychologically, they're on the floor after not qualifying for the World Cup. They face a Germany team that seems to be on the up under Hansi Flick. Still a bit of work to do, but they do seem to be on an upward curve and Italy on a downward one. 
Yeah, um, really interesting game this. I had a bet in mind before Italy played Argentina on Wednesday. Um, you don't want to be too influenced by just one match, but I guess Italy's kind of non-performance gives you a bit more confidence around it. It was being pro-Germany. I wanted to back Germany plus a quarter in the Asian handicap, which was around 1.8. Um, but in the last 24 hours, the odds have kind of flip-flopped and now Germany looked to be going off favourites uh, for this match, which is interesting. Um, I still would be pro-Germany, even if the, the line is moving pretty quickly and we probably need to get in there quite quick if we want to get something from this game. But Italy fielded quite a, a relatively strong 11 in that match. There were some changes, there were some new faces, but nothing too significant, particularly when you look at what was available from the bench. I know Mancini was quite keen to give Chiellini one of his sort of last hurrahs, but the performance was, wasn't fantastic at all they, they were well beaten uh, didn't deserve much from that and now they've got a very tough test against Germany and you know I think uh, I think they probably would have been uh, I think the, the, the game against Argentina probably would have been their preference in terms of getting a result there because of what's at stake um, so yeah I expect uh, Italy to whether they be stronger in personnel or not I'm, I'm unsure but uh, they've got home advantage but it's not exactly in a, the most of raucous of, of stadiums in Bologna so um, yeah I'm still quite keen to oppose them and Germany, as you say, they, they seem to be starting to sort of trend in the right direction. Um, the opposition in Hazy Flick's time hasn't been the greatest, so it's difficult to judge them too well. But he seems to have released the shackles, put that system back in place, which has worked well with him at Bayern and given his players freedom to express themselves again. And sometimes that's all Germany need, really, to be that sort of ruthless machine because they've they've won eight times in nine, they've scored 34 goals and conceded just three. So um, that's kind of the sort of German team we expect to see, particularly in the sort of a, uh, in the last sort of decade or two. Um, you look at the squad, uh, looking very strong, and uh, I think they'll come into this game feeling pretty confident about themselves. But you can probably share a bit more light about Germany and their sort of journey since Hansi Flick's come into the gig. But yeah, I, I think uh, even at one point nine five now, offer a zero start on the Asian handicap, which is the same as draw no bet. I think one point nine five is is absolutely fair enough for an Italy team who are probably still sort of trying to find their identity again after what's been a a pretty traumatic 12 months after winning the Euros. Yeah, I mean, Germany's progress has been really intriguing, actually. I think it says a lot that Bayern's players did not want Hansi Flick to go and take that Germany job. And had he had a better relationship with Hassan Salahamidzic, the sporting director at Bayern, he may well not have gone. And guys like Jozo Kimmich, Leon Goretzka spoke up for him on a regular basis. So, it really does help if you've got a coach that everybody respects. Everybody did respect Joachim Löw, his predecessor. There's no doubt about that. But I think there was a growing feeling within the squad that, A, he went on too long. And B, tactically, he was just looking around for the right answer. Whereas Flick has arrived. This is what we're going to do. Come hell or high water, this is how we play. 100%. I think the we saw the last World Cup was listening to the like Sir Raphael Honigstein. He kind of seen the reports in the camp were saying like players like Joshua Kimmich were unhappy to be playing in a wing back position. And it was kind of like like not playing a midfield three when you have Kimmich, Goretzka, and Gundogan and Kroos just was nonsensical. Like, and I think like Lou obviously had had a very successful tenure, a successful tenure with Germany coach, but definitely stay de- de- definitely stayed too long and was kind of holding Germany back by the end. Whereas you said, I think like. I think Flick is arguably possibly the best coach in international football. It's it's just interesting from the last Euros, kind of we saw Spain and Italy. I think really probably overperform their talent level with probably the two best coaches in the tournament in Luis Enrique and Mancini, who had one of the few coaches in the tournament who had recent success at club level. 
I think that's a big advantage for Germany going into, the, into this World Cup. Flick is a proven coach. I remember reading about his time at Bayern that he brought in a kind of specific pressing coach, and like that, and, and as such, Bayern actually had the best, like the best press in Europe when they won the European Cup under him. So I, 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 I rate Flick really highly. I think he's starting. Yeah, and I think there's been kind of maybe progress hasn't been quite as quick as Germany would like, but they but they were very solid, very solid in qualifying, mostly against poor opposition. I think the key thing for Germany, what we kind of what they kind of lacked maybe the last Euros was the real kind of pointed attack, and we started to see that Kai Havertz might be about to be fulfilling that potential. In the second half of the season, he looked like a genuine top class European kind of false nine slash number nine, and I, I, I and I think for Germany to be successful, they will need that they're currently going to need him to take a step forward, which he's showing signs of doing. And like, and if you compare that to Italy, I think. Italy are a team in real decline who are badly missing Chiesa in attack. I think if you look back to that Euros, in that front three, I know Chiesa doesn't start every game, but if you look the front three, Insignia, Immobile and Chiesa, Chiesa was the only one of those three to world-class ceiling. Immobile well, he's the and, X factor, isn't he? Yeah, he's exactly. the unpredictable guy that you just I, don't know what he's going to do. I know Serie A fans might not be happy with this, but I think Insignia and Immobile are kind of Serie A stat patterns. I don't think they're top-level European performers. I don't think they have like, the real pace and athleticism to really be kind of world, world-class world players. And I think the and, and I think just losing Chiesa has left Italy very short. Look at the players they're starting attack. They're nowhere near the level of player that Germany has with Sané, Serge Gnabry, um, Thomas Muller, Adi, uh, Adimi coming into the squad who's just signed for Leipzig. I think Germany just have a far better, better level an attack Germany have Germany have a week to prepare compared to Italy having three days to prepare and I, I like Mark said I, I, I was hoping I was putting up Germany they were in three point on the exchange last night and that's shortened up but I, I, I like Mark's angle uh, Germany Germany drawn a bet at close to even money looks a looks a fairly cracking bet to me yeah, I think there are some really exciting young players coming through with Germany. Look out for Nico Schlotterbeck. I think he's going to be fantastic at centre-back. Adiemi, who you just mentioned, I think both of those are going to prove to be excellent signings for Borussia Dortmund this summer. Now, it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a betting feature so revered that the wonderful Welsh entertainer Max Boyce originally started out with humorous songs about betting on Swansea, Cardiff and Wrexham before he was eventually persuaded that singing about rugby would be a bit more popular just for the lawyers that definitely did not happen how this works is each of the guys including myself uh, come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and our lovely traders like Emmett wrap them up in a boosted treble for us I'm going to start Emmett, you've convinced me about the marvellous revolution with the Republic of Ireland. They are going to win against Armenia. So I'm going to put that one in straight away. Mark, I'll go with you. Uh, I will go over two and a half goals, Belgium against the Netherlands. And Emmett, take us home. Yeah, pretty drawn up bet on Germany's a bit awkward for the treble. So instead, I'll, I'll just go with um, both teams to score in Denmark versus France. Tremendous stuff. Lots of goals to cheer on there and we can cheer on the Republic of Ireland against Armenia as well. That's all we have time for on this international edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. All of the international action is covered extensively on our website betting.betfair.com with great previews and analysis. Elsewhere, we've got the Wade In podcast, the Cricket Only Better podcast, the Racing Only Better show as well. Check us out on 
on social at Betfair or at Betfair Racing or simply go to Betfair.com. From Mark, from Emmett and from me, it's goodbye for now.